0: Galatians chapter number 4 tonight, and I'm going to try to do something that I've never done before, and that's preach short. Amen? Galatians chapter number 4 tonight, and I'd like to have been reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, "...now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world." But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then... When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. Now listen to what Paul says here. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. My temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I, therefore, become your enemy, because I tell you the truth? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd bless your word tonight, that you'd speak to hearts in a way that would glorify only your Son. And by glorifying Him, we know it glorifies you, Lord. But we ask that He'd be lifted up, high and holy, that He'd increase and we'd decrease tonight. We'll be sure to thank you for it. In Christ's name, Amen. I'm interested in the phrase that Paul uses, and i preached on this thought before, but uh, I believe that it was the mind of God. I'll go ahead and tell you that uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to preach a sermon with two points, and each of those points is going to have two sub-points. And I'd love to be preaching eight points with 15 sub-points each. You know me well enough to know that. But uh, the Lord won't let me, and I did my best. I could have gotten an outline down and gotten one out, but I want to do what the Lord would have me to do tonight. And so if the Lord's going to tell me to preach a two-point outline, I'm sure not going to argue if He tells me to preach on a passage I have dealt with before. We're getting ready tomorrow night to begin this study on the book of Galatians. I'm very excited about it. But tonight I want us to just take a moment and examine the Apostle Paul and a phrase that he uses and the impact that it can have in our life. He says this, Ye have not injured me at all. Now, can I just pause there and ask you something? Does it sound like Paul had not been hurt by the church at Galatia? You see, as you read through the book of Galatians, you'll find time and time again where Paul makes very passionate statements about how that they had disappointed, how that they had betrayed him, how they had turned their back on him. Uh, we know as we study, and we'll talk more about this tomorrow night in the, in the study, but uh, the churches of Galatia would have most likely been the churches that were established in uh, Iconium and uh, Lystra and in Antioch of Pisidia. And these were churches Paul had labored in. Paul had spent much time in these churches. And after that, a group of Judaizing evangelists. Now, you're not going to hear that phrase many times in modern-day society. But a group of Judaizers, people that believed that you had to keep the law of the Old Testament to be saved, entered into this region of Galatia and began to proselyte, if you will, these uh, believers at these churches. Paul, we believe, had not been away from there very long when he writes the book of Galatians. No doubt it hurt when he saw what had taken place there at Galatia. This was a group of believers that, as we just read, he describes them and he says that they received him as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. But now he calls himself, or they would call him, their enemy. Their enemy because of the truth. Now, I would just propose to you this thought tonight. I don't think it's that Paul didn't hurt. I think it's that Paul didn't let his hurt hinder him. Can I say to you tonight that you spend enough time in the service of God and around God's people, you're going to get hurt sometimes. You're going to get hurt. People are going to say things. People are going to do things. But what are you going to do with that hurt? Are you going to let it cripple you? Are you going to let it paralyze you? Are you going to let it turn you away from following the Lord? We talk all the time, and an old-time preacher once preached a message from this passage on the thought playing hurt. And, you know, we see football players and baseball players and basketball players all the time. Of course, getting any more, they, they can't even play without air conditioning, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was a time when uh, you'd get hurt and there wasn't no hobbling off the field and there wasn't no stopping everything to tend after you and uh, to, to wipe your tear-filled eyes. You just played on through. And some of you may have played high school ball and you know what it is to sprain an ankle or to hurt your knee and just push on through. And let me tell you that in the Christian walk, there's times you're going to have to play hurt. There's going to be times when people are going to do things. that are going to upset you. They're going to break your heart. You have to make up your mind who you're in this thing for, or you're going to be quitting every two weeks. You see, I want us to notice just two things tonight. I told you it'd just be two points. I want you to notice the hurts that he suffered. And we could analyze the book of Galatians. We could find probably 15 verses that we could read something into. Of something that hurt Paul. But I want to just choose two tonight. And I want you to look at what we've already read in verse 14 through 16. He says, And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not nor rejected, but receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now notice what he says in verse 15. This is interesting. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, Ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Now, Paul, we know, very likely suffered from an eye disease. And he makes a very, very uh, special point to tell us in chapter number 6, verse 11, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Most of the time, Paul would have a letter transcribed. He would dictate it. But Paul writes the book of Galatians personally. He says, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. Well, why did he say that? Because it wasn't easy for Paul to write a letter. He couldn't see. And so that's what he's talking about. When he looks at these people and he says, there was a time you would have plucked your eyes out for me. You would have done without so that I could have had. You would have given of yourself. You would have allowed yourself to be hurt so that I could further in the ministry. He says in verse number 16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Can I say that a lot of people suffer hurt because of discord? I, I don't know everything about what happened at Galatian. I don't suppose anyone does. But Paul talks a lot about his apostleship in the book of Galatians. And the reason is because they were questioning his apostleship. You see, before these Judaizers came in, here came the apostle Paul with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. And God was uh, bringing about great and mighty works amongst Gentile churches. He comes into this group of uh, Gentiles. They were what we know as Gauls, uh, meaning that they were not necessarily Greeks, but they were those northern barbarian tribes that would have been north of Syria. They had been in the darkness of heathenism and hedonism, paganism. They had no light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here comes Paul. Paul comes in and begins to tell them the blessed truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the multitudes, it seems, they begin to turn towards him. And there was never a question in their mind that Paul was an apostle. But now here come these Judaizers from Jerusalem. And they start saying, Paul, well, who's Paul? He wasn't even around during the ministry of our Lord. He didn't walk with the Lord like Peter did. He didn't walk with the Lord like James or like John did. Why do you believe that Paul, fella? You need to keep the circumcision of the Judaistic law, and you need to keep the law if you want to be saved. Now, all of a sudden, these people that loved him so dearly look at Paul and say, we don't even know if you're sent from God. You ever had somebody say something that you never thought they would say? You never thought they would say. You expected someone would say it, but you never thought they'd say it. You know, and I understand, you know, we're awful hard on people. And I am sometimes. I'm being honest with you tonight. And we'll talk about, well, people get their feelings hurt and they don't, you know, they don't quit going to the Walmart when the Walmart hurts their feelings. And that's true. That's true. But can I say that most of the time people are closer with the church family than they are with the Walmart family. Now, some of you ladies, it might be different. But for the most part, you're closer with the church family. What was it that our Lord that was prophesied about Judas, my own familiar friend lifted up his heel against me. You see, these people have turned their back on Paul. And sometimes the drama and the discord and the hurt just seems too much to bear. There's going to be times, you listen carefully to me, the devil hates the New Testament church. The devil hates the cause of Jesus Christ. The devil hates unity in a local church. The devil hates souls being saved. And you stick in this thing long enough, there'll be somebody trying to hurt you that the devil will use to try to hurt you and hinder you from serving God. We see that discord can cause it at times. But I want you to turn over to chapter 1. And I want you to look at another thing that Paul says. And I think this hits close to home for a lot of us. Chapter 1, look at verse 6. Paul says this. This is his introduction, essentially. He says, I marvel." I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. I think there are several things that are meant by what Paul's saying here. I think that when Paul says, from him that called you, I think in a sense he's talking about the Holy Spirit because in chapters 5 and 6 he's going to talk a lot about the leading of the Spirit of God. I think in a sense that we could understand that he's talking about Christ or the living Word because certainly uh, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. But I think there's a sense in which Paul's talking about himself too when he says, him that called you. Who was it that gave that clarion call for them to come out of the darkness of paganism and into the light of the gospel of Christ. It was Paul. Paul. Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed. It was said for a long time, and uh, it still even says it in my Schofield Bible, and if you've got one, uh, it'll say it there. It'll say A.D. 58. And a lot of people believe that this was written as late uh, as the letter at Corinthians, but I, I'm not really of that persuasion. And let me give you two reasons. One... Because uh, during that period of time, those three churches that I mentioned, Iconium and Lystra and uh, Antioch at Poseidia, were no longer a part of the Galatian province. And Paul never ministered north of those in what we would consider to be northern Galatia or Galatia proper. But let me say even beyond that, that part of the reason I think that Galatians was written much earlier than Mr. Schofield and a lot of other scholars think so, is because of his wording here. You see, it was on Paul's first missionary journey that he planted these churches in Galatia. And if it had been, uh, when you get down to A.D. 58, you're not too many years away from Paul's death. Paul died in the early A.D. 60s. I believe it was early on when these people were drawn away. And by the way, and we'll again, we'll talk, and I'm doing my best to stay out of the Bible study until tomorrow night, but... But you'll find that shortly after Paul's first missionary journey was when that there were Judaizers leaving out of Jerusalem. They went to Antioch in Syria, which is not far away from Antioch in Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra. And very likely it was at that same time that these Judaizers came into Galatia and began to persecute these churches and try to lead them astray. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm getting at this. Paul had literally just left. Just left. And these people that he had labored with, these people that he had poured his life into, all of a sudden they're chasing after another gospel. Can I say that sometimes we're hurt by discord? But sometimes we're hurt by disappointment. It says, I marvel. I marvel. You almost can't know the hurt of it. And some of you in this room, you'll know what I mean and some of you won't. But you almost can't understand the hurt Of seeing someone that you've won to the Lord or discipled in the Lord go astray until you've experienced it. That's what Paul's talking about. Have you ever had anyone in your life that either you led to the Lord or God used you in a very big and influential way to bring them closer to Christ, and then all of a sudden you hear about it one day and they're out of church and they're twisted up and they're bitter, and there's just a pain, almost like a parent with their child, to see them go astray? That's what Paul's experiencing. Paul's saying, when he says, I marvel, could I, could I put it this way? And I don't think that we're being disrespectful to Scripture when we say this, that we could almost say that Paul, like a parent looking at a child that has done something that they never thought they would do, Paul looks and says, I'm disappointed and shocked that you would so quickly be moved away. Let me tell you something. If you got anybody on a pedestal, you better pull them off there because they'll fall off themselves pretty soon. There ain't a one of us that deserves to be lifted up high and holy except the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all flesh, we're all bone. And some of the greatest hurts that we experience is when somebody we look up to or somebody that we cherish steps out on the Lord and makes mistakes. Ain't no telling how many churches have been blown up by that. Ain't no telling how many families have been blown up. Ain't no telling how many kids have walked away from the church they've raised in and said, I won't go back because of disappointment that they've seen and experienced. But let me tell you something. People are going to disappoint you. They're going to. Let's get this in our minds tonight. People are going to disappoint you. There's only one person we can look to, and it's the only person that Scripture tells us to look to. And the book of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We know he's always going to be right. By the same token, we know everybody else sooner or later is going to be wrong. So we better make up our minds that we're not going to let these things hinder us. Some of the greatest hurts we experience is through discord. People saying things they ought not say. I, I don't know what it is about churches. I guess because the devil hates them so much. But churches are more prone to turn into a battlefield uh, than the Freemasons Lodge, than the Elks Lodge, Amen. than the bar downtown. I'm telling you truth tonight. I mean, at least at least when the bar downtown gets in a fist fight, they come back in and get over it. Most churches just lock the doors, Right? Why is that? Well, part of it's because the devil hates the church so much. But part of it is because we allow him to wreak so much havoc in it through our walking in carnality and in the flesh. I see the hurts that Paul suffered, but I want to give you my second point and then I'm done. I want you to see the helps that strengthened him. How do you overcome these hurts? How do you overcome the hurts that you experience and suffer? When somebody says something about you or to you that hurts you, when somebody disappoints you that you never thought was going to disappoint you, how do you deal with it? Well, let's talk about discord for a moment. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. And I want you to look at verse number 24. Chapter 5 and verse number 24. How do you deal with it when somebody hurts your feelings? When somebody says something unkind, how do you deal with it when somebody is cruel or mean to you? Look at verse 24. The Bible says, And they that are Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You know what that is when it says affections and lusts? Can I use this word? Passions and desires. Aren't those words synonymous? Affections and passions. I mean, uh, when we think of affection, something that we love or care for, we think of something we're passionate about. Or we might use this word now, listen, feelings. Feelings. And lust, what would we say about lust? Well that's desires, ambitions, self centeredness, the affections and lusts. It says in verse twenty five, If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. That word vainglory. Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that only by pride cometh to contention? Only by pride. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another. You ever met somebody like that? Let me just pause and say, you ever met somebody like that? That, I mean, you'd have a little bitty spark somewhere. And then here comes Mr. or Mrs. Gasoline, just ready to jump right on top of it. Provoking one another. Provoking one another. Envying one another. You say, preacher, how do I deal with it when people hurt my feelings? We deal with hurt feelings through the crucified life. Let me tell you something now. I'm talking to you about something that's mysterious to modern-day Christianity when I say the crucified life. I'm talking about something that's alien to this casual Christianity movement that we have surrounding us today. And a lot of times it's in contemporary churches and it's in old-timey churches too. Just this idea of coming in, enjoying myself, and then going home. This crucified life is foreign to it. What does it mean to be crucified? The best example I ever heard, uh, Dr. A.W. Tozer was telling a story about uh, once when he was teaching in a college and he said that uh, he was uh, lecturing on the crucified life. And uh, a bunch of young boys came up to him and said, we want to know, Dr. Tozer, we want to know about the crucified life. Why don't you give us some truths about the crucified life? He said, all right, I'll tell you what I want to do. He said, you just had uh, a boy that passed away uh, that was in your class recently, didn't you? And they said, yes, we did. It was very tragic. He said, I'll tell you what. I want you to do. I want you to go down to that boy's graveyard. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to call him every name that you can think of that don't offend God. I want you to talk about him like he's a mangy dog. And I want you to come back and tell me what he says. And they thought, well, that's silly. But when when a man, and if you don't know who Dr. Tozer is, it don't mean nothing. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. When Dr. Tozer said, do this, it meant something. So he said, okay, we'll go. So they go and they stand beside the graveside and they say everything they can think of that they don't have to repent of. And they they call them every name in the book that they can think of. And they feel awful and they feel terrible about doing it. And they come back and they say, Dr. Tozer, we did it. And he said, what did he say? And they said, nothing. He's dead. He's in a grave. He said, all right, now I want you to do this. So I want you to go back and I want you to say every nice thing you can think of without having to lie. I mean, think of every good thing that boy ever did. Think of every positive aspect of his personality you can think of, and I want you to brag on him and tell me what he said. So they go, they feel silly, but there they are in the graveyard and they're doing it, and they come back, and they tell Dr. Toz, and he said, what did he say? They said, well, Dr. Toz, didn't say anything. He's dead. You know that. And he said, that boy's is the crucified life. That's crucified life. When you tried to assault him, He didn't respond. When you tried to flatter him, he didn't respond. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. See, that's what some of you are wondering. Some of you are wondering right now, well, preacher, what do I do if I don't do nothing? Well, this is what you do. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Paul says, the flesh is dead. Well, then who do we let rule and reign us? How do we respond? How do we act? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He just said it. They that are crucified with Christ, they have crucified the affections and the lust. He said, if we live in the Spirit, you say, how do we live in the Spirit? We're made alive when we call upon Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And we're born of the Spirit. We begin to live in the Spirit. And if we live in the Spirit, we ought to walk in the Spirit. In other words, we ought to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. Whenever somebody insults you, your flesh is going to want to fly back at them. Let me tell you something. Your flesh may even be right in flying back at them. But that don't mean that that's what the Spirit of God would want. That don't mean that's what the Spirit of God would want. say so they had it coming. Well, maybe they did. God will decide that. That's not yours to decide. That part of you that wants to fly back, that's the part of you that ought to be dead. Ought to be dead. And that part of you that shows restraint and Christ-likeness, that's the part of you that needs to be living. You see, a part of the reason we get so upset when people say things about us is because of how much we think of ourselves. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. It don't matter what somebody says about you. It don't matter what somebody says about you. It's better than what you truly were in God's eyes before He saved you. We think we're somebody. We think we deserve something. We don't deserve anything but hell. That's all we deserve. Anything else is grace. Breath of fresh air is grace. Another day to live is grace. It's all grace to us. If we got what we deserve, we'd be in hell right now. And we need to recognize when we have these moments where we have a choice to make, and they happen constantly. We have to realize that at the end of the day, we're just dead dogs. Dead dogs like Mephibosheth that have been brought to the king's table. And we need to do what the king would ask. So the crucified life. But let me give you a second thing. How do we deal with disappointment? Disappointment. We've been looking to somebody, looking up to someone. How do we deal with the disappointment? Well, we deal with it like Paul would. Look at chapter number 1 again, and I'm done. Chapter number 1, what does Paul say? Now, he's been talking about his marveling that they're so soon removed. And he says down in verse number 8, "...but though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Look what he says in verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. How do I deal with disappointments when they hurt? Well, we deal with discord through the crucified life. But we deal with disappointments through the Christ-centered life. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying this. Paul says, I gave you the true gospel. I ministered among you. You loved me. You cared about me. He said, and I left and somebody came in and they began to preach another gospel to you. He says, which is not another. Now, why did he say, which is not another? Because he wants you to understand that he's not giving validity to that false gospel. He's saying, but there's some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he says, but at the end of the day, I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please them. I'm here only to please God. Let me ask you a very simple question. I'm going to try to not labor this. Who are you in this thing for? When you come through those doors, who are you coming in them for? For me? I hope not. For the people around you? I hope not. What are you in this thing for? Say, preacher, I I looked up to somebody and they hurt me. Were you in it for them? Maybe you need to reevaluate why you're in this thing, why you're coming to church, why you're serving God. Because at the end of the day, if you're in it for anything other than Jesus Christ, you won't be in it long. You won't be in it long. Because there will be somebody come along and look at you cross-eyed, say something about you in some way, or mess up and be a disappointment to you. And you'll get out of this thing. You'll be out like so many others sitting on their couches this Sunday evening. You'll be like so many others sitting on their couches this Sunday evening that five years ago would have been in the house of God on a Sunday night. But they're sitting at home feeling justified because somebody hurt their feelings. And at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, chances are that person that hurt their feelings ain't even aware that they did. Meanwhile, what is it that's suffering? It's the cause of Christ. It's their relationship with Christ. Listen, get, getting bitter and getting out, that don't help nobody. That doesn't help anybody. What are we in this thing for? Are we in it for those around us? Paul said, I don't seek to please men. In fact, he went as far as saying, if I seek to please men, I'm no longer the servant of Christ. So i got a choice here. I can either serve men or serve God. Paul says, I choose to serve God. Why was it that Paul, after everything he'd been through, I know of no other apostle that went through what Paul went through. All of them were persecuted. All of them had bodily harm done to them. And all of them, uh, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. But none of them went through what Paul went through. He goes through the gamut in 2 Corinthians and talks about all the things that he had suffered and went through as he vindicates his apostleship to another church that was questioning his apostleship. And yet at the end of his life, Paul says, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. Paul says, I've not got out of this thing. And it's not because of me, he says. But it's because of what Christ has done in my heart and life. And it's because I've stayed focused on him. Tonight, let's all get our focus back on Christ. And, I, and let me say this. Let me say this in case anybody's wondering. There's nothing that occasioned this other than the leading of the Holy Ghost. If you're, if you're hurt, I probably don't even know about it. I'm not preaching at anybody tonight. Nothing except the leading of the Holy Spirit of God led me to preach this message tonight. I would love to have been preaching something else because I preached on this thought before and we're going to be in Galatians tomorrow night anyway. And I'd love to preach eight hours anyway. But this is what God led me to preach on. So if you're here tonight and you needed this, I want you to respond to the Lord. Because the Lord knew you needed it. And the Lord gave it to you. So what are you going to do with it? You need to respond to the Lord tonight with